Thank you for listening to the Soul City Church podcast. Be sure to follow us on our Facebook and Instagram at Soul City Church. For more information, visit us on our website, soulcitychurch.com. Oh, well, good morning, Soul City Church. How are we doing today? Okay, like, like a 63%. I liked it. I liked it. That's pretty good. If you've been here traditionally, it's much lower sometimes. But y'all are awake. I love that. I love that. Uh, well, those of you who are in this room or worshiping with us online, uh, my name is John. I'm one of the teaching pastors here, and this is one of the great joys of my life, um, not just to be a part of this church, but specifically the moments that I have the privilege of getting up here um, and have uh, 30 minutes or so of your attention. At least I think I do. I, don't, I just don't take that lightly, so thank you for that, uh, and I hope it's worth it. Uh, if it's okay with you, you, though, I would love to start our time together with a little personal life update, because uh, as some of you who have been here the last several months may know, uh, my wife has been pregnant, and we have been eagerly awaiting the arrival of our first child, and I am very pleased to report to you today, the baby's here, people! It happened! It happened! Yeah! Yeah, there she is! Uh, yeah, on August 14th at 6.56 a.m. over at Northwestern Memorial Hospital, we met our daughter. There she is. Her name is Florence James Jorgensen. She is well. Mom is healthy. Dad is getting there, you know. Um, it's really, it's hard to believe that, that she is actually here after all this time. And I have to, I will confess to all of you right here, we're all friends. I am a full-on, naive, confused, first-time dad, okay? In the last five weeks, I have put diapers on backwards. I have a Google sheet that tracks breast milk and poop and pee. I now often find myself talking in a tone of voice that is two octaves higher than I normally talk, even when I'm talking to other adults. I am disoriented right now, uh, but it has been fantastic. It really has, and, and I already find myself wanting to impart parental wisdom to my daughter, even though she is not at all cognizant of anything I say at this point, but that does not stop me from trying. In fact, I, what, I, what I did is I actually started a note on my iPhone that I called Words to Live By. And what I'm doing, I'm just like filling it with these like simple truths and ideas that Aaron and I want to impart to our daughter as she grows up. And this is not like obvious things, right? Like MJ's the goat or obvious things like ranch is an acceptable side dish for any meal. You know, I'm talking about things that are, that are maybe a little bit deeper. Yeah. Like one of the things that I, that I have in that note is this idea that everyone's a human. Now, this sounds pretty obvious, but, but the idea here is that every one of us is made in the image of God, meaning every one of us has the capacity to create beauty in the world, to create goodness, to be love in the world, as we're talking about in this series. And at the same time, everybody's human, which means we all also have the capacity to mess up. We also have the capacity to cause pain in the world. And if we can just acknowledge and accept that every single one of us, including us, we have the capacity for both, then maybe we can have a little more grace for one another and for ourselves. Another one of the phrases that I put in there is this phrase, we all live here. And this is just a reminder that we are all inhabitants of the same earth, people. So, so whatever space you enter, that is ultimately a shared space with other people. And so therefore, the choices you make when you enter there, the person that you are in any space, it has an effect on other people. 
And so we would all do well just to be mindful of the fact that like, hey, we all live here. The, the 16th century scholar John Donne, he said it much better than I did in his famous poem, No Man is an Island. It goes like this. No man or human is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. If a clod be washed away by the sea, Europe is the less, as well as if a promontory or more important or bigger part were as well as any manner of thy friends or of thine own were. Any man's death diminishes me because I am involved in mankind. How good is that phrase? I am involved in mankind. And therefore, never send to know for whom the bell, the death bell tolls. It tolls for thee. In this second week of our Be Love series, where we've been talking about how we can both experience and express the love of Jesus in the world. This week, we're going to talk about what it looks like, what it means for us to be connected. And there's a fundamental truth about human connection that I'm willing to bet you already know, because there is evidence for this truth all around us. It's expressed everywhere. It's been expressed several times in this sermon, and maybe you didn't even notice it. Whether it was my words to live by, or V's story, or whether it's Dunn's poem, they're all expressing essentially the same thing, and it's this, that you were created for connection. Really simple idea, but it's just true. All of us, not just that we are connected as human beings, but as humans, connection, it's what we were made for. Connection is a need that God has literally hardwired into the very fabric of humanity. In fact, page one of the Bible, it, the Bible begins by painting this picture of God and humans living in what the Hebrew language calls shalom. And shalom means peace, but it also carries with it this connotation of, of a beautiful and intimate and personal connection and relationship. A large portion of the creation story is talking about how you were created to live in connection with your creator. But the Bible doesn't stop there. For those of you who are familiar with the story, you know that in the beginning, God created everything, right? Sun, moon, stars, plants, seas, trees, the Chicago Bears most weeks, you know, all of that. He created all of it. And God called everything that he created, everything God creates in Genesis 1, he calls good. But do you know what the very first thing in the Bible to be called not good is? It's not sin. It's not murder, or lying, or cheating on your taxes, or wearing white after Labor Day, or calling a meeting that very easily could have just been an email. Yeah. Genesis chapter 2, 18, it says this, it is not good for man, for humans, to be alone. You know what's not good? For us to be isolated for us to be disconnected from God and from each other. The story of the Bible says from cover to cover that we were created for connection. We were created not just for connection with God, but to live in close, personal, loving, trust-filled relationships with one another. And yet, as obvious as that sounds, I imagine there are many of us watching online or here in this room today that when you hear me say those words, a little tension pops up inside of you. When you hear me say you were created for connection, maybe you start thinking, well, John, okay, if that's the case, well, then why am I so lonely? And maybe you wouldn't say that, like, because you don't want other people to know it. 
but you're thinking it. Like, if connection is so important, John, then how is it that I can live in one of the most populated cities in our country? There are people around me all the time. And yet, if I'm honest with you, I don't know if I have one real friend who I can trust in this city. I don't know if there's anyone who I feel like I can talk to about the real stuff. How is it that I can spend hours on my phone each day typing and texting and liking and swiping and DMing, and yet when I put my phone down, I feel more isolated and disconnected than before I picked it up? As everyone's favorite worship pastor, Justin Bieber, says, (laughs) what if you had it all but nobody to call? Maybe then you'd know me. Because I've had everything, but no one's listening, and that's just gosh darn lonely. (laughs) Most of us don't know what it's like to be an international pop star, but I imagine that most of us resonate with those words at some level. I know I deeply connect with them. Recently, the former Surgeon General of the United States, Dr. Vivek Murthy, wrote a book called Together, and the book is all about the threat of loneliness to not just our mental and emotional health, but the threat of loneliness to our physical health as well. And in the opening chapters, Murthy cites a 2018 study that showed that 22% of all U.S. adults say that they sometimes or always feel lonely or socially isolated. Later goes on to talk about a 2019 study, just a year later, that shows that 61% of adults reported feeling lonely at some point throughout their week. Now, I want you to notice something about those two statistics. Notice the timing. Those are pre-pandemic stats, aren't they? Like, just imagine what a global pandemic and 18 months of wondering how safe it is to even connect with another human being. Just imagine what that has done to exacerbate our sense of loneliness that we've already had. And maybe right now you wouldn't necessarily name it as loneliness, but you think, okay, I was created for connection. Well, how am I supposed to do that when starting relationships is almost impossible right now? Because I don't know who is safe to be around. I don't know who I can really trust. Or even the relationships that I had are now different because of this pandemic. They're more complicated or they just disappeared. Why do I feel like everyone just disappeared? I had these friends I used to be able to count on, and then one day I saw an Instagram post, they moved away. I didn't even know. No one texted me. I used to have these family members that I I thought I could deeply trust. Now we have these ideological or political differences, and we don't even talk that much anymore. There's just a growing distance between us. Relationships are different. Or maybe, let's be real, maybe you've just forgotten how to connect with people. Yeah, like maybe you're just out of practice. It's been a while since you've been out in the world. And maybe you had an experience recently where you went out and you tried it, you know? You, got, you actually put on real pants and you went out in the world. You went to like a group or community gathering. And halfway through, you couldn't wait to go home. Here's, I think the reality of our time that is truly tragic is right now, we all need connection more than we ever have before. And at the same time, connection is maybe harder to come by than it ever has been before. And so the question that I want us to wrestle with in this time, in this moment, is how do you create the connection you were created for? Like, is this still even possible to live in that close, 
personal trust and love-filled relationship with God and with others that the Bible says we were created to live in. And in order to tackle this question, you're never gonna guess what I'm gonna have you grab. A Bible, let's do it. So reach under the seat in front of you. There should be a Bible right there. Turn to John, the Gospel of John, my favorite gospel for obvious reasons. Chapter 17, if you're in a Soul City Bible, that is on page 878. That's a cheat code, 878. If you're worshiping with us online, just grab whatever Bible you have, whatever tab you have, and open to the Gospel of John, chapter 17. This book that we are about to read a passage from together, the book of John. It tells the story of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And at this point in the story that we're going to hop into, this is a pretty crucial moment for Jesus. John 17, it tells the story of what is most commonly known as the Last Supper. Now, this is the last meal, the last meeting that Jesus is going to share with his disciples, with the people that he chose to live connected to. This is the last time he is gonna see them before he's arrested and before he's executed on the cross. And I wanna start reading in verse 20 where Jesus, he's in the middle of praying for his followers. He says this in verse 20. My prayer is not for them, meaning his disciples alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be, say the next word, one that all of them may be one, Father, just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be, say it again, one as we are one. I want you to notice something about this prayer. Like we just said, these are Jesus's final words. This is his proverbial mic drop. He's about to leave the stage. The last thing he is going to say to his closest friends, I want you to notice, Jesus' final, 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 final prayer, the note he wants to leave on, is not a prayer that his followers would have perfect theological beliefs. Not that they would have all the answers. It's not a prayer that they would all look and act and talk the exact same way. Jesus doesn't pray for them to go out and defeat liberalism because it's ruining our country. He doesn't pray for them to go out and dismantle conservative thinking because it's holding us back. No, but Jesus' final prayer, the note he wants to end his whole ministry on, is a desire for his followers to live connected, for them to be one. And not just like a flaky, I'll cancel on you if I find something better to do or I just don't feel like going anymore kind of connection. But he describes it as the close familial, vulnerable, deep connection that he has with the Father. He wants us to have that same connection with him and with others. And Jesus makes it really clear, did you notice, that this prayer, it's not just for the 12 disciples who are around that table, but he says his prayer is for anyone who would come to follow Jesus throughout history. Do you know what that means? That means that this is Jesus praying for you. That long before you were born, your parents were born, long before you were ever a twinkle in their eye, Jesus was praying that you would live connected. Because he knew that is what we needed. Jesus longed for us to live connected as he was. In fact, he wanted it so badly that not only did he dedicate a prayer to it, it's actually what he gave his life for. 
Several hours later, after this, as Jesus is hanging on the cross, he cries out in his final minutes, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I've seen this verse many times in my life. I've read it a bunch. And this week, as I was preparing this message, this verse hit me differently. I noticed something. You see, I think the true tragedy of the cross was not the physical pain that Jesus had to endure, though I imagine it was terrible. But the true tragedy of the cross is that for the first time in his life, when Jesus was up there, he was disconnected. He was disconnected from the Father. And all those disciples who had sat with him around that table, who had followed him for so many years, who said they would follow him to death, the vast majority of them had abandoned him. But they were in hiding. The true tragedy is that when Jesus was on the cross, he was alone. And he was lonely. And yet the beauty of that sacrifice is in that moment, what Jesus was doing is he was taking on our disconnection from God and giving us his connection with God. What Jesus did for you and I is he willingly walked into isolation so that we could live a life of connection because he knew that's what you were created for. You were created for connection, but here's the thing, true connection always costs something. Real connection doesn't come free. Doesn't come easy. For Jesus, it cost him everything. It cost him his life. Now, let's be clear it's probably not gonna be that dangerous or dramatic for you, (laughs) thankfully. But if we wanna live a connected life, if we wanna know and be known by others, it's gonna cost us something. At a very base level, you're probably gonna have to go through the awkwardness of getting to know new people. Like, it's gonna cost you some of those free nights that are on your calendar. It's gonna mean that you might have to step outside of your comfort zone a little bit. This has been true for me. Uh, This is a picture um, of a small group that I was a part of during my summer's home from college. Uh, We called ourselves the Table Flippers, based off of Jesus in the temple. You can laugh, it's fine, the name is stupid. Um, But when, when we were forming this group, a few of my friends who formed it, they came to me at one point early on and they said, you know what, John, we really think that you should lead this group. And this was long before Pastor John. Okay, much like V, at that point in my life, I had never led a small group. I hadn't even really been in a small group. But just like V, I had a great friend who pushed in and said, no, John, we think you're really the right person to lead this group. And it was this small community of people that spent countless summer nights in my mom's basement worshiping to my terrible guitar playing, but also praying together through parents' divorces. Also, talking through crises of faith that so many of us face when we graduate high school and go and live on our own. We sat with each other as we wrestled with discontentment around seasons of singleness. Everything you might go through as a young adult, we were connected during that. But in order for us to have that connection, it cost me and others having to step outside of our comfort zone, having to try something that we felt unqualified for that we'd never done before. Or this, this is a group of guys uh, that I got to know while I was living in Pittsburgh, where I went to school. Uh, we called ourselves the Iron Men. <laughs> the names do not get better, believe me. They just don't. Christians, man, Christians. Um, <laughs> but uh, it, 
you know, th- this was the group of guys, these guys and a few others. This is the group of guys I met with for, for four straight years at a coffee shop every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. And it was this group of guys who sat with me and who prayed with me through one of the darkest seasons of depression I've ever had when I was in college. These were the guys who texted me on Wednesday night to make sure that I wasn't going to skip out. These are the guys who offered to give me a ride just so they knew I would wake up and get in the car. But you know, in order for me to feel so supported and so loved, so connected through that really dark time, which I did, in order for that to happen, it cost me having to be more open and more vulnerable about parts of myself that I am not proud of than I ever had been before. My connection to this group, it was a lifeline for me. But it meant I had to allow myself to be seen for who and what I actually was at the time, rather than how I wanted others to see me. Cost vulnerability. I I want you all to do me a favor real quick. Would you mind, uh, whether you're watching online or in this room, would you just close your eyes for a second? You trust me enough to do that, it'll be okay. Just close your eyes, and I want you to bring to mind one of these groups for you. Just like bring to mind a time in your life when you felt deeply connected to a group of people, a community, whether it was through a church or school, group of friends, family members, whatever it was. I want you to picture the people in that group. These people who you knew them and they knew you. When you were around them, you felt seen. When you were around them, you knew that you were loved. Remember the things you used to do together, the serious and the silly. Remember the conversations you had, the good times, the hard times they helped you get through. Will you just take a second and remember how it felt to wake up in the morning and to know that you weren't alone, to know that you had people. Now, open your eyes. I have an idea. As beautiful and as life-giving as that connection you felt in that group was, my idea, I'm willing to bet it didn't start off perfect, did it? Like, think back to the beginning of that group. I'm willing to guess the first time you all got together, it wasn't like, day one, I'm full of trust for everyone. I'm ready to share vulnerably. We're laughing together. We're crying together. I'm showing you all my bad part, you know, all that. No, that's not how it was. In the beginning, I'm willing to guess if it was a small group, in the beginning, like for the first several weeks, you probably sat in some pretty awkward silences which kill my wife whenever someone asks a question in a small group and then everyone just sits. You had to push through some of those moments. You had to push through a few lulls in the dinner conversation before you had any shared history. Like maybe there was a tension between personalities in the beginning that you had to work through. Before you and that group had an established rhythm of getting together, I don't know if you remember that time where you had to establish that rhythm Like you had to do the hard, not very sexy or spiritual work of texting everyone and making plans and figuring out that, oh, she can't make it because she has to work and blah, blah, blah. That is spiritual work. The ministry of the plan makers, thank you. That takes work. What I'm trying to get you to see is that that beautiful, life-giving relationships, that all of that stuff, that didn't just happen. You had to work for it. 
You had to pay a cost. It cost you something, and it always does. I want to show you one more photo. Um, This is a a group of couples that Aaron and I have been deeply connected to over the last three years or so. Uh, And we met all of these people here at Soul City through groups and other things like that. We did not give ourselves a name. We learned from experience. But over the last few years, this group of people, we have done Bible studies and small groups together. We've thrown multiple birthday parties for everyone. We've made t-shirts for those birthday parties. We have taken international trips together back when that was a thing. We visited one another's hometowns, visited their parents. And if you couldn't tell, in the last year, every single one of these couples, all of us had our first kid within 12 months of each other. And a season that is so exciting, but also can be really difficult, we all got to do that together. But here's what you don't see in this photo. What you don't see is that there is one more couple who is absolutely a huge part of this group. They are not in this photo because a few months ago they moved out to the West Coast. And what you also don't know is that right around the same time, two more of the couples in this picture also moved out of Chicago. And so recently, this community that has meant so, so much to Aaron and I, recently the cause for us was having to say goodbye. Knowing that we'll still be connected with them, but the community, as we had it, that season has passed for us. I know I'm not alone in this. I know I'm not the only person who has watched friendships or communities go a different way over the last year. And right now for me, even as I give a message on the importance of being connected, for me right now in my life to know me is to know I'm really struggling with the motivation to push through the discomfort to form new connections. I really am. Part of that is because I'm still grieving the loss of some old connections. Part of that is because this is my first time forming community in an ongoing pandemic variant world. I don't know if you've been here before. I'm a rookie. Another part of that is because I'm an introvert. I I am, which means connection, it's never been the easiest thing for me. It has never come naturally. It is always hard. The introverts in the room are saying amen, but you don't hear it. That's how it works. And here's the thing, this is not just true for me. It's true for all of us. When you think about connection, it, Pastor Jeannie said to me after the last service, she said, unity, oneness, connection, it's not an event, it's a practice. It is not just a one-time thing. Like I signed up for this thing or I went out to dinner with them one time, I should feel connected, right? No, it is an ongoing practice. And when, rela- when God lets certain relationships go, you grieve that and you start again. It's just making room for new connections, new relationships in your life. Because here's, here's the ultimate thing I want you to take away. True connection, while it does cost something, it's always worth it. You think about all the work that you had to do, all the time you had to put in to create the connection of that beautiful community you thought about earlier. You think about all the questions and all the anxiety and all the fear you have surrounding, like, how do I create community in 2021? 
all of that stuff, I'm not saying that it's gonna be easy to push through that. I'm not saying it's easy work. I'm not saying that the cost is low. What I'm saying is, is that it's always worth it. What I'm saying is, is that if you are here and you are a human being, which as far as I can tell is 100% of you, your soul needs this, even now. Even when we live in a world that it seems like everything is pushing us towards disconnection or division or isolation, we need this now more than ever. And so your homework for this week, it's pretty simple. Not easy, but simple. Your homework for this week is to take a step towards connection. Whoever you are, whatever your circumstances, do some work between you and God and figure out what would it look like for me to take a step towards living a more connected life. For many of you, you're gonna be able to do it before you leave the building. Because what you're gonna do is as soon as this service is over, you're gonna walk out those doors, you're gonna go to the lobby, you're gonna find someone in a teal shirt that says be connected, and you are gonna sign up for a Soul City group. Hear me, this is not an ad for our church's offerings. This is me recommending to you something that has transformed my life. If I think about the most meaningful relationships in my adult life, other than my family and childhood friends, almost every single one of them was a result of joining some kind of group in the local church. Again, I'm not promising you it's gonna be perfect. I'm not saying week one you're gonna show up and be like, I have friends, life is good. It's gonna take some time, it will. Remember, connection, it costs something but I promise you it will be worth it. If you're watching online, you are not exempt from this. We have a link in the description with all of our groups. We have virtual groups. We have thought of you. We want you to be connected. And if you're in this room, again, just right outside those doors, get connected today. Get your homework done before you go home. That's the whole game, isn't it? Not promising you it'll be easy, but I do promise. If it's connection, it's worth it. Then my challenge to those of you who are already in a group, the hundreds of you who already are, is to walk around this week with that question in your mind. How can I live a more connected life? Like what would it look like for me in my circumstances who I am to walk around and just be mindful that like we all live here. I'm not an island. I was created for connection and so, does, so was that person. So what can I do how can I, as Jarrett talked about last week, how can I be bright and create the connection that all of us were created for? If you're in this room, would you stand with me? We're gonna worship together and I would love to pray over all of the connections that are gonna be made today. Let's bow our heads. God, thank you so much. Thank you so much that you created this need, this need for connection. And not just that you created the need, but you created a need where there is opportunity to fill that need all around us. And God, that doesn't mean it's gonna be easy. It doesn't mean it's gonna happen right away. It doesn't mean we don't have obstacles standing in our way. But I pray right now, whatever fears, whatever anxieties, whatever reason someone has in their head right now to not connect, to not sign up for a group, God, I pray that you would wash that away and replace it with the truth that we were created for connection. And God, if we went this whole time and all we did was connect with other people, then this sermon would be a failure. Because that's not the only connection we were created for. 
God, you wanted to connect with us so badly that you sent your one and only son to die on our behalf to create that connection. And that son called you father and invited us to call you father as well. That's how close, that's how personal, that's how intimate you wanna be with us. You wanna have a relationship with us, we're your kids. And so God, as we sing about your fatherly love now, I pray that every single person in this room, wherever they are on their spiritual journey, that they would see, that they would know that they are seen and known by God. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.